So today I'll talk about living ageless and insecure. So I want to share with you how I overcame any insecurities through osmosis, I guess. Um, the summer that I was in ninth grade, my oldest sister was, was getting really good at sewing. So she made me, I was like her little human hanger. I was her little human hanger. So she made me this really cute dress. And it was like a turtleneck and long sleeve, but it was like a t-shirt fabric. And I wanted a, um, what you call those little um, decal like on it, but I wanted it to be like a ice cream sundae on the front. So she sewed that on as well. And she made like a scarf for my head to match it. Well, at the time I was wearing my hair long, so I was able to tie it like almost like a pirate style, but it was really cute. And I had on, I think, some red leggings or stockings with some clogs. Well, it's back in the 60s, and people that looked like me weren't able to go in a lot of stores. But because I was looking and feeling so good about myself, I decided to go in this big department store that I shouldn't have been in. So I'm standing up and I'm shopping and I'm just all about myself. I'm just just really happy with who I am. But in that moment, I knew any insecurities that I had, that my exterior overrode it. Okay? So I'm shopping and then this lady walks up and she was like, you are so pretty. I want you to wait right here. So she said, I'm going to bring you something back. So when she came back, uh, she brought me some paper. She said, I need you to fill these out, and could you mail them back to me as soon as possible? And I'm going to say the person's name because she was really a, a, played a big role in my life. She was the fashion coordinator, Freddie Frio. She used to work at this department store. So I read the, the paperwork, and I'm like, oh, Lord, if I give this to my mom, she's going to have a fit. Because it was the summer that I was going to 10th grade, because I had just finished the 9th grade. And I was going to run for Miss Sweetheart to be in her court. I had been in my junior high court in 9th grade. My class voted me in. So I had to have a gown and all that good stuff. Moving on. So I am um, I read the paperwork. So for, it took about two or three days. I refused to show it to my mom. Because I knew she was going to get upset. I just bought you a gown for this and that. Uh, whatever. So I waited. So finally, I filled out the part of the paperwork, 
and I gave it to my mom. And much to my surprise, she signed it. She went along with it. So I walked, the mailbox was about three blocks away from the house. So I walked to the mailbox and I mailed the letter. Well, in about two days, I received a telephone call from this fashion coordinator. She said, we're going to have this really big meeting and we're going to have a lot of big investors there. And I would like you to be there so that they can meet you. Now, at this time, I hadn't figured out I was like one of the first teenage models in the city, in the south, where I'm from. I had not figured all this out. I just didn't get it. I had still had my own insecurities. So my oldest sister said, well, I'll make you this really cute idea I have. Because at this time, I think she was playing with the idea of becoming a designer. And she was using me as this little human hanger because I was like a perfect size one. And so um, she made this outfit. I remember it was yellow and orange. Not either one of my favorite colors, but it obviously worked. And she put my hair up in a bun. And so I went to the meeting. Well, when I went to the meeting, there was no one that looked like me. So I decided, okay, I'm going to sit in a... Because first of all, it was at a hotel that people that looked like me weren't going to. So I remember when I walked in, the doorman looked like me. So he took his hat off and he bowed. And I remember all these employees that looked like me were all whispering and bowing and doing strange things to me, but I didn't really get it at the time. So then I go to these big elevators and I go upstairs to where the meeting was supposed to be. Again, there's no one to look like me. And so I decided I'm going to sit in the back of the room where the entrance door was and soon as someone comes in that looks like me, I can feel comfortable again because all of my insecurities was coming out. And so now it was time to get up and start meeting the investors. And so all these people are invest, uh, investors and, you know, they saying how pretty I was and this and that. I'm still not really figuring out everything that's happening because it's happening really fast. So at the end of it, it was like the next week would be my first style show. And back in the late 60s, every time I did a runway, that was like $500. So that was a lot of money for somebody this young. So we would go. And because I was such a perfect size one, I didn't have to go to get fitted. Because what I found out was the other models were like from affluent lifestyles. So they didn't have to fit the real model figure. They were big department stores, granddaughters, and that kind of thing. I made it in on my own volition. I didn't have all those other things. So you can see where I'm coming from about 
some of my insecurities after we started talking. But they were very good. They were very friendly. We did a lot of things. We went sailing together. We did. Um, we went to fancy restaurants where we would have to walk out of the door backwards and wave backwards. That was kind of something that went on because we were high fashion models. So we didn't really talk. We didn't bounce. We didn't do all that. You did a pivot, you know, and you turned at the end of the stage. And if they liked what you were modeling, they brought you back out. They took pictures and whatever. And then that was like a big ticket item that the, the, the store buyers were going to buy for their stores or whatever. And so here we go. We're getting dressed, and I don't know why. At this particular time, they had this white cashmere pantsuit, and that cashmere, whatever, it had like these, these, it was really a lot of loose things flying off of it. I'm like, okay, I don't need to sneeze. But anyhow. I walked out. This was the first time someone like me would walk out on this stage. So any insecurity, any fear I had, I had to put it under my feet. Because at that point, once we got there, you have to pick your shoes and you had to tape them underneath. And you had coverings for under your arms so that you wouldn't perspire on the clothing because they would put them on sale after or display or whatever. So I walked out, and when I walked out, you could not hear a penny drop. Everybody went, <gasps> it was like everybody was in shock. There was over 200 people. And then after that, I started seeing out of my peripheral vision, cameras, light flashing. I didn't know what it was at first, but they were taking pictures. They were taking pictures because I think what they realized was it, this was a part of history happening. I had not figured it out yet. And they taken these pictures, and then when I went back to the back, I had another outfit to put on. In the back, where we would dress. They had a very big dressing room and it had these guys that did not look like me. They were there to pick up the clothes that we took off and hang them back up. And at first I noticed the girls were just taking their stuff off, pitching it on the ground. Well, I wasn't on the floor. I wasn't in that state of mind. So what I was doing was kind of taking my stuff off gingerly, very lightly, you know. And I didn't really want them to look up on my body, for one thing. So that was with the first outfit. I think we had three outfits that day. But I also realized I was under time. So I needed to get out of those clothes and get into my next outfit really, really fast. So the first time I was being cautious about letting my body just be out and these 
guys back there. I don't know why they had guys doing it, but they did. And so I took the outfit off and I had to swallow real deep because I remembered how the first time was with the people, you know, making that sound like they're so shocked. So the second time, I think I had like a little short pantsuit, like a little short set or something. And so I walked out. And this time, they were kind of standing up. So they were already waiting for me to come out. And they had their cameras, and they were taking pictures. My oldest sister did something very interesting with my hair. She took and she put like this ponytail in the top. And she took this white ribbon, and she wrapped it around almost like a Cleopatra type thing. It was interesting, but it was pretty the way she did my hair. And um, they took pictures. They were taking all these pictures, all these pictures. But I get it. So when I walked back, the guys were there picking up the clothes. So I was like, okay, I can't be nice about taking my clothes off. So I just started doing like everybody else, taking stuff off, pitching it on the floor and pitching it because I knew they had to come and pick it up. And I had to get into my third outfit. And by this time, it was my third outfit, and it was a bridal show, which I used to love to be a part of the bridal shows. I don't know why, but usually I'd have to come out with China and um, just some after-five, like, dress. It would always be very fun because you get to walk with the bride, and it was really interesting. And so that would always be like the showstopper at the end. You know, because I think a lot of people wanted to see that, especially brides-to-be and their, you know, their families and stuff like that. So that was interesting. But I do remember that day, on that day, I was able to free myself of a plethora of insecurities. I had no other choice. And I remember when I came home, because the way I went to it, I just had on a T-shirt and some cut-off jeans. I mean, and caught the bus. I didn't have a vehicle. I didn't have anybody to drop me off or anything like that. And besides, they probably wouldn't have been able to come into the hotel with me anyway. So I remember when I came home that evening, and my mama said, You realize what you did? I said, No. She said, you are part of the civil rights movement. I didn't get it. And I was like, but I see all of this on television. And she was like, no, you are a part of the civil rights movement. And so from there on, I realized how important it was to have confidence. And, you know, maybe everybody may not agree with what you're doing or how you're doing it. But have confidence in yourself because nobody's going to give you that. There is no silver platter that they're going to lay confidence out for you. You have to have that and be secure in that and stand in that because it's only one you. There's nobody else on planet Earth like you. They may have a lot of traits like you, but they're not you. So... 
that's what I wanted to talk about insecurity. Sometimes people have struggles with it for years and years, but then when you are faced with something where you have no other choice but to put that under your feet and to walk very proudly, I'm on a catwalk, so it's not like I can really get up there and say, ooh, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. I had to suck it up and make it happen. It was an opportunity. And then the next, well, in my senior year, this you know young lady was interested, and I gave her a reference. So I knew she was like the sex, second one to look like me that would be modeling for this big department store. So if you would like to know more about her, go to Grammarly Depot, G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y-D-E-P-O-T.com. My divine salutes your divine. Namaste.